The Hammer, Chapter 23 Corvin gingerly recovered Morgan's face. Without the antidote for the pill, the poison had killed him. Hurry up, Kalian. Jord crouched between the poles, looking back over his shoulder. Corvin grunted as he lifted Morgan's heavy body. No wonder the soldiers had complained. They passed through the broken gate. If the City of the Dead was any indication, the core city must have been beautiful in its day. Each small structure was ornately carved in white stone. For the first time in his life, Corvin felt like a giant, walking the streets of a city built for people a quarter his size. "'Jorid,' Corvin whispered, "'is each of these buildings a grave?' "'Yes. Our people would not be buried in a hole that would fill up with water, so we build crypts above the ground.' George's subdued tone made his voice difficult to hear. The top of each crypt lifts up. The dead are placed inside, and the airtight lid is fastened back down to keep the smell of decay inside. When the next person in the family dies, the bones of the first person are moved to the bottom compartment with their ancestors. Some wealthy families construct a separate crypt for each family member. Corvin looked up a cobblestone path that curved away from the main boulevard. Why did they copy the layout of the main city? Your crypt is in the same place here as your home is in the city streets. Does each person's crypt look the same as his home in the city? George shook his head. People put more energy into the creation of their tombs than the houses they live in. These are much more elaborate than those in the city. But they give you an idea of what Kadir looked like before the destruction, when you could clearly see her beauty. Kadir? Yes. We have other small settlements in the outlying areas where the workers live, but Kadir is our only city. They approached a small circular plaza that marked the center of the Crypt City. Instead of a statue, a gnarled old tree stretched its grey branches toward the roof of the cavern. Pale leaves decorated one half of the shattered tree, and shriveled fruit still hung from twisted branches. The other side was blackened and dead. George stopped short, and Corvin stumbled and caught his balance against Morgan's body. He straightened and noticed they were alone. Where are the soldiers? Weren't you listening? They said to wait while they checked out a crypt. Here, let's set the body on this bench. It was a relief to be free of the litter. Shaking the cramps from his hands, Corvin crossed the tiles of the plaza drawn in by the half-dead tree. Jorid joined him at the stone railing encircling the tree. Legend says it was here long before our people entered the core. The living side was much greener before the light began to fade. I'm not sure why our forefathers built the city of the dead around it, but for people today it symbolizes the choices we make before we come here. Does the living side ever bear fruit you can eat? No, but in the center of the great tapestry there was a picture of a living tree with many fruits on it. It could have been this tree before it was damaged. Are the statues part of the legend? What statues? Corvin pointed past the railing, the two gray men looking at the tree. Jorid peered past the split trunk. It's not the tree they're looking at. He stepped quickly back from the railing. I hear them coming back. Let's pick up the litter so we're ready to go. We don't need any trouble. Corvin paused, struck by something odd about the dirt around the living side of the tree. He leaned in over the fence for a closer look. Radiating from the shattered tree trunk were lines of footprints made by a child's bare feet. Kalian, Jorid hissed, quickly. They had no sooner picked up the body than the three soldiers emerged from a street off to the left. But all the rest of his family is there, the older soldier was saying. Perhaps he was to be placed in his father's crypt. No, the captain replied. The order said to look for a large crypt with Morgan's name on it. 
Let's look up toward the rulers. They marched away from the tree. Jord abruptly dropped the end of the litter onto the bench and pushed Corvin away from the body. With trembling hands, the priests uncovered the dead man's face. The shock on Jord's face was replaced with such intense anger that Corvin stepped back further. A sharp whistle from the captain broke the tension. Shaking his head vigorously, Jord returned to the front of the stretcher and yanked it off the bench with such force that Corvin had to dive to grab the poles. He stumbled along after Jord as the priest towed him after the soldiers. The captain led them around the tree and up a wide street across from where they had entered. They passed between the two statues that stood on either side of the entrance. The gray eyes seemed to follow Corvin's every move. The street was now lined with larger tombs. It seemed to Corvin that in this replica city they were heading toward the location of the stepped plaza and the palace. Sure enough, a few streets later, a walled area appeared before them, and beyond its gate an open courtyard filled with grand tombs, pointed roofs to the left and flat roofs to the right. George stopped beside the soldiers and looked up in silence. Corvin followed his gaze to the largest crypt he had seen so far. It was built up against the outer wall of the city and had a door in front large enough for a man to walk through without stooping. Ornate letters were carved into the stone over the door. This isn't right, the captain said. There used to be two or three crypts here belonging to the ruling families. They have all been destroyed to make room for Morgon's tomb, the older soldier said. Look, they even used the stones from the previous crypts to build it and stomped over to the litter and spoke to the shrouded face. You always were working your way closer to the chief watcher. I suppose you thought you would someday become the new ruler of the corps. The captain raised a hand and Corvin wondered if he would strike the dead man. Instead, he shoved the body away, almost knocking Corvin to the ground. I refuse to dignify the memory of this man by putting his remains in this tomb. Then let us use one of the pauper's crypts. George suggested in his disguised voice, a tomb without a name for one who erased the names of others. Done. The captain turned from the ornate mausoleum and marched back toward the main gate. The soldiers and litter-bearers had to run to keep up with him. In a short time, Corvin was so out of breath he thought he was going to drop in his tracks. At the tree, the captain turned down another road, then took a narrow track strewn with rocks. Put him in there. He pointed to a large, plain box that rose sloppily from the ground. A pauper's burial for the man who would be our king. He turned to his soldiers. Seal him up and get yourself back to the palace. I have no more time for this nonsense. He brushed past them in the narrow passage, knocking Corvin off his feet. As Corvin fell backward, the body slid out from under its shroud and slumped against his chest. Morgan's eyes popped open, and the pupils tilted back to focus on Corvin's face. Corvin tried to scream, but only a gurgle came out. Ah, don't let that bother you. The younger soldier brushed the eyelid shut. Sometimes it happens. He bent close to Corvin, and his voice dropped to a whisper. Get as far away as you can from this priest. Bad things are about to happen to all of them. You don't have to be a slave to the green cloaks any more up, patted Corvin's shoulder and spoke out loud. Just rest there until we get this thing opened. No doubt the priests are overworking their servants. He shoved Jord aside and joined his partner in working on the two rusty metal latches that held the lid of the crypt in place. Jord set his side of the litter down and sidled up to Corvin. Put your hood back on. Corvin whispered frantically, He's still alive. Morgan is still alive. 
Jord yanked Corvin's hood back into position. Don't fall apart on me. The soldier is right. Sometimes that happens if you give the body a jolt. But Morgan was my guard at the prison. He took some of the pill the high priest sent, but it didn't kill him. Jord grabbed him roughly by the shoulders. How do you know? His eyes just focused on me. Jord crouched next to Morgan, straightening the shroud and wrapping it around the body. You are right. He still has a bit of life left in him. He always was the strong one. With a loud creak, the thick lid of the crypt eased up and out of the way. The soldier peered inside. What luck! It's an empty one. Bring him over. Corvin and George straightened Morgan's body on the litter, and the two soldiers helped them lower it into the crypt. They must have expected the poor to die in groups, for there was room inside for three or more. An eerie wail, like a rabbit in its death throes, floated over the cemetery walls. The soldiers looked anxiously at one another. The younger one turned to Jord. Do your priestly duties, and then seal it back up. We want to be out of this part of the city well before dark. The soldiers hurried away. Jord bent down to scoop up pebbles and dirt. Are they gone? he whispered. Corvin pretended to stretch. Just another minute. The strangling sound came again, and the soldiers quickened their pace. What is that noise? Jord continued picking up pebbles. That is the sound of the broken. They are beginning to move about and hunt for food. They hunt people? It appears the soldiers believe they do. Are they gone? Yes. George straightened, dusted off his hands, and dropped the lid of the crypt into place. Farewell, Morgan. This is not how it should have ended, but everyone must live and die by the choices they make. You almost cheated death, but I can guarantee you it will not be for long. I doubt there is much air in a sealed tomb. He lifted the first of the clasps and twisted down the large turnbuckles. Corvin watched in shock then put his hand on the rusty metal. We can't seal a living man in a tomb. George shoved his hand away and turned fiercely toward him. I know things about him that you do not. It is best we seal his tomb and make certain it is all over. But it's not right. I am a priest of the Corps, and I know what is right from my world. If you want my help to get yourself and the girl back to your own world, you'll mind your own business. He stared at Corvan through narrowed eyes as he cranked down the second turnbuckle. Come on, we must hurry if we are to get to your counterpart before dark. Corvin turned away from the tomb, a shiver running up his spine as he hurried to catch up. George strode ahead of him through the narrow pass, turning this way and that, always staying a few paces ahead. George, he called out, is Kate here in the cemetery? George slackened his pace. Yes, this has always been a secure place for the priest to keep our business hidden from the prying eyes of the watcher. We are expected to come and go regularly, and we can arrange meetings with other priests and our allies from the settlements. Are the rebels the captain spoke of your allies? George's steps faltered. Many of the rebels were palace guards who lost family in the anarchy that followed the rise of the Watchers. In those days, everyone was betraying friends and family. His voice sagged with the memory. The rebels fled into those crags up behind the graveyard. He pointed to the jagged mass of rocky spires that climbed from behind the city wall to meet the far side of the cavern. I used to think they could be a good ally against the Watchers, but a new leader has come into power by claiming to be Rantelic as well as the promised Corvan. He has taken to raiding the settlements for food and recruits. His foolish plans are going to get a lot of people killed. What's a Rantelic? It was an ancient order of wise men from another city. It does not matter, for they no longer exist. This new leader is a fraud in every way. 
George sped back up. The conversation was over. Corvin lost all sense of direction as they moved on through the maze of narrow streets and alleys. Jord left the marked paths and threaded his way between the crypts to emerge on a street that followed a long, curving section of crypts that were plain in design. They were much taller than the rest of the others, with short doors in front. Built side by side, they looked a bit like the old motel near the city of Fenwood. Jord stopped and motioned for Corvin to stand still. He checked the streets around them, then inserted a short cylinder into a round hole in the front of a crypt. The entire wall opened inward, revealing a narrow alley that led to an open space beyond. Jord gave a shrill whistle and waited. He whistled again. Something is wrong. Our guard does not respond. Follow closely and keep a sharp eye out for anyone coming up from behind. A long knife appeared in Jord's left hand. They walked through the narrow alley with Corvin glancing nervously over his shoulder. The secret entry emerged into a wide-open space walled by the backs of the tall crypts. George scanned the roofs around the perimeter. Pulling Corvin close, he pointed to one of the walls across from them. Kate is inside that one. Take this rod, push it into the hole, and the door will open for you. I will remain here and keep watch. He thrust a notched cylinder into Corvin's hand and pushed him out into the open. Corvin half-stumbled across the rocky ground to the back wall of a cracked and weathered crypt. He fumbled with the cylinder, almost dropped it, then managed to push it into the hole. Nothing happened. He twisted it from side to side, but still nothing. As he turned to look over his shoulder at Jord, a narrow section of the wall under his left hand slid to one side, twisting him around and dumping him inside the crypt. The round key rolled across the floor. He jumped to his feet. The stone benches on either side of the musty room were empty. Corvin turned to signal Jord, but the door slid closed and the room went dark. A loud bang overhead made him jump. Someone shouted just outside the door, and he heard footsteps across the roof. A small round light flickered in front of Corvin. He crept forward and bent down to look through the keyhole. Across the courtyard, George stood talking with two armed men. Someone moved in front of the tomb, blocking his view. When he could see again, George and the men had vanished. A man in a dirty cloak marched into view and stood in the middle of the clearing with his back to the door. His long hair hung in two braids down his back. He carried a staff with a long curved blade at the top. At his waist was a short sword. Corvin felt his way over to the closest bench and leaned against the stone wall. But why was Jord working with them? He tried to think it through, but found it hard to concentrate. His last sleep had been in the jail cell. He had no idea how long ago that was. This may be a good time to rest. There was no point in trying to open the door with a warrior standing guard outside. Corvin pulled off his pack and lay down, but his mind kept turning over the possibilities. Maybe Kate had never been here in the first place and this was a trap. His hand fell on a smooth object next to the wall on the bench. He felt its familiar shape and breathed a sigh of relief. Jord had told the truth about Kate, for in his hand was the Swiss army knife she had taken from Tsarek. Chapter 2 